All right, everybody, welcome back to the Millennial Sales Podcast. This is your host, Tommy Tahoe Alemo, and really excited for this episode. Thank you for listening on Apple, Spotify, wherever. If you're watching on YouTube, salute. Let's get into another week of exciting sales talk. So this week, I've got a good friend, Nick Fedotov, on the show. And man, this is a good one. You're really going to like this one. Uh, so I had Nick was the third guest on this show. I've been doing this podcast for over three years now. Uh, we're you know pumping out almost you know getting close to 200 episodes, and you know Nick was number three. He was he was the boss of my co-host and good friend at the time that we started the podcast together. I remember going over to Salesforce and doing the show with Nick. It was a great time. And, um, you know, one benefit that I've seen from this show has been building relationships with people, truly. And, uh, you know, I joke sometimes that the guests get something out of this podcast. It's why they come on. But I think selfishly, I get a lot more out of it. And, um, you know, I think the audience gets something out of it, too. But I get a lot out of it in that, you know, I learn a lot. Um, you know, I'm using it to build my brand, but I'm also using it to build relationships with people and meet like-minded people. Uh, and Nick, you know, hands down is one of the best people that I've met doing this podcast and that I've met in the sales world, you know, the last three years um, and consider him, you know, a friend and, and a mentor of mine. And I think you're really going to enjoy what he has to say. So let's give you a little bit of background on Nick before we get into the to the episode. So Nick is the vice president of SMB sales uh, in the healthcare division at salesforce.com. You may have heard of them. Um, but he started out his career in finance. So he was at Morgan Stanley for a few years, um, you know, and, and was going through that world. Eventually went over to Salesforce uh, just over 10 years ago. So 2010, he landed there as a, as a uh, BDR. Uh, in that time, in, that, in those 10 years at such a large company, he's been promoted six different times from BDR to uh, an AE to several layers of AE to become a senior AE through being uh, you know, regional sales manager uh, and then up to being a vice president of sales, which he is right now. And um, you know, he's, he's just got an incredible track record. Um, and you know, I think there's going to be a few things you take away from this conversation. You know, one is the things that you learn being at somewhere like Salesforce, right? They, they've really been kind of the epitome of software SaaS sales, you know, in the last 10, 20 years uh, of, of how do you do that? How do you scale a company? And then how do you scale a sales organization? What's the right way to sell? And it's really, if you have Salesforce on your, on your pedigree, it's really kind of that, that blue chip of, of sales, you know, that maybe IBM or Xerox would have been back in the day. So you're going to learn about what it's like to go through that company. You're going to learn what it's like, um, you know, Nick talking about, you know, sales specific things, you know, like, you know, they run on a monthly calendar, for example, right? And so how do you navigate monthly deals, uh, which is something that I'm new to um, and, and I don't know anything about, right? Because I'm coming from a quarterly mentality to now monthly in my new role. Um, we talk about sales leadership, right? And he is, you know, really heads deep in, um, in principles by Ray Dalio. It's his favorite book. We talk about, you know, how he creates a community and, you know, lives by those principles and, and use those to lead his team. Um, 
And we get into Tony Robbins. One of the things that we really get along about is, is that we love Tony Robbins. We've both been to an Unleash the Power Within event, which is a four-day event um, that, that Tony runs, which uh, if you want to know about it, just hit me up on the side. I'll tell you all about it. It was amazing. Some of the best four days that I've had uh, ever on this earth. And um, so we, we geek out about that a little bit. He talks about you know, feedback being a gift. It's just chock full of great lessons across sales, across leadership, across how to work through internal politics at a big company, uh, about how to close deals, and then how to have a, you know, happy, successful life with, you know, financial success, sales success, relationship. Uh, he's got three, you know, two kids with, with a third on the way. And so uh, without further ado, I think you're going to love this conversation with Nick. Um, my one ask for you is that if you do find any value here, please subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, YouTube. Uh, you can also leave a review on Apple. Uh, I don't make a dime off this podcast. I do this. It is uh, you know, 7 o'clock on a Thursday night. Uh, and it's about a thousand degrees in my apartment in San Francisco. So I'm pumping this out. Uh, so the least you could do is if you find value, tell a friend, share it out, leave a review, help me spread the word, um, without any more commentary from me, let's get to this podcast with my good friend, Nick Fedotov. Let's go. Nick Fedotov. Salesforce round two, going from episode two to whatever number this is right now, probably going to be in the 180s range. So it's been quite the gap. Welcome back to the show, though, man. It's an honor to be back. You know, being invited back tells me I didn't screw up the first conversation that bad. So with that, <laughs> I'll take it as a compliment and uh, excited to, to join you. Yeah, there's only been a handful of people that have gone on the second time. So you're in a, an elite class. I feel honored. Yeah. So I want to I want to get into, you know, just get get straight into the life of Nick Fedotov and I know we talked a little bit on the first go around and that was before I that was the first time that I met you and we've gotten to know each other more over the years. So I'd love to get a little bit of background on um, I know you're doing some work in the financial services before you got over to Salesforce, but I don't know if we really talked about why why did why was that the first career move for you? Was it something that you always aspired to do, or you were super interested in finance throughout college, or you're interested in sales, um, you know, when you were younger, or, or entrepreneurship, or something like that, or maybe it was just some a way that you thought you could make money uh, coming out of school, which is always a concern. What 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 kind of led you in that direction? Yeah, I would say a number of different factors. Some of it luck, some of it intentional. I think. Most people get into the sales profession because of the coin term, you can make doctor or lawyer type money without that type of education in, in years of schooling. And so when you think about being in school, if you put more into a school project, you want to be compensated for that grade. And for me, I've never been one who's afraid to roll up the sleeves and really put in the hard work. And so I wanted to be compensated you know, appropriately for those efforts. So that was intentional, and there has always been an entrepreneurial spirit within myself. I was the kid who always had the lemonade stand, yeah. and then there was even a moment uh, where my we had a lemonade stand, and a couple hours later, my brother said, hey, can we join? And it's like, no, we're good. He's like, I'll do it for free. 
I didn't know there was a backdoor deal between my mom and my brother that she would pay him under the table and just match whatever we made. And we ended up making some astronomical, it was like 116 bucks. It wow. was something that was way out of the realm of what my mom thought we would make. And we came back and she was like, no, you're going to have to pay him his share. And I was like, what? That's not the deal he did. She's like, no, uh, you got to pay him. Cause there was no way I, I thought you guys were going to make that much. So, um, so there's a little bit of that. And then as most people go into college, they don't know what you want to do. Yeah. And, you know, people ask me at Salesforce, should I go in this vertical, this part of the organization? I always say it's analogous to going into college. Like it's what feels right. And for me, I stepped on the Cal Poly campus and I was like, I want to go to school. The second they accept me, if I'm, if I get privileged enough to get that offer later, I'm going to Cal Poly. And when I did, I said, I'm absolutely going here, but they also make you declare a major. And I had no clue what I wanted to do with my life. So I went into business because that was general enough where you can still go into different concentrations, finance, accounting, et cetera. So kind of going through that finance and the power of compounding kind of resonated with me. I was inducted into a senior project class where we actually picked stocks and the school gave us $300,000 and we grew it to $800,000 and we paid them the $300,000 back. So it was all uh, house money. It was real dollars and it was a really cool project. And from, from that point, I was very interested in the markets, very interested in the economy I also thought, you know, it's it's a very high value job, meaning it's highly skilled. The knowledge you accrue is going to make you valuable, and it's something you're going to do for the rest of your life, personal finance. So I could see it being applicable throughout my course. So that's kind of what got me into that world. Yep. And wait, so the, you grew the three hundred to eight hundred. Who got the who got the the five hundred k upside? Where did that go? It's still. To my knowledge, it's still a senior project. So it's a two semester, one year you're the rookie, and then the next semester you're the, the veteran on the team, and it's just a rolling fund that you make uh, trades out of. And there is one, once, um, actually they're on a quartering system, but once a quarter they actually liquidate a little bit of amount of that money and the whole class gets to go to dinner for free on the fund. So we do have a oh, little bit cool. of leisure with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, that's... That's what gets you in interested in something is some real hands-on experience. Not like, you know, a math equation or going through a case study. It's like, no, let's, let's put real, you know, real money and like see what we do. And maybe we lose it all or maybe we, you know, hit it big or whatever. But that's just a great way to get actually interested. A great, you know, for any like college professor is just like a great way to get people actually interested in your subject. Get them hands-on, get them moving and learning and actually using their hands, so to speak, in the project. Yeah, and it was also my intro into debate and uh, listening to how Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen run Andreessen Horowitz. Like, you find a deal you want to make and you got to present it to kind of your cohorts and they're going to beat you down. Why do you need to do this deal? What is it about this company? What about these external factors, et cetera? And if you can walk away from that conversation still feeling passionate about making that deal, you have the autonomy to make the deal. And in that class, it was all around like, I, I remember I made this pitch for Pepsi Cola. We need to invest in Pepsi. They got a new CEO. Uh, you know, they're going into the health food products, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a healthy debate. And I felt like in the same thing where I had to fight for 
for Pepsi. Unfortunately, I kind of lost the battle in the class. Didn't I didn't have the majority uh, role in the class to invest in Pepsi, but it that type of experience and kind of a, a, a virtual boardroom experience uh, really resonated with me, and it's something that kind of drew me to the industry. And then, of course, you know, being born in the the 80s, uh, you see all the coin, like the Wall Street movies, the boiler rooms, yeah. et cetera. And so there was also this association with uh, the ability to make a high income, which obviously uh, had a gravitation for me. And that debate is not all that different, I imagine, from a big forecast call or something, whether you're running it or you're, you've been leveling it up to your superiors within the organization, right? Where people are kind of trying to bash on the deal. Hey, why is this not going to come in? You know, you don't have that person involved. Oh, there's no next call on the calendar, all this different stuff. And, you know, trying to, you know, kind of back your case or, you know, come up with the right game plan to, to knock that deal home. I mean, it's not that different from what you're describing. Absolutely. I think at the end of the day, I love le learning about different perspectives and not things are directly aligned with what I want to hear because that doesn't persuade or influence you to do something else or think a different way. So I am all for kind of challenging the status quo and listening to feedback. And I love healthy debates because at the end of the day, you're at least going to learn another perspective, whether you agree with it or not. Uh, it's really fun to learn how other people think. Yeah. And, and you, so from the financial services spot too, you went to Salesforce and I saw, it looks like you just hit your 10 year anniversary, maybe a month ago. I did. Uh, a week ago. So. Oh, a week ago. Congrats. Yeah, thank you. It's a long time. So, um, you know, I think on the last show, we got into maybe why you went over there, but 10 years is a long time. And um, for anyone, but especially in this day and age, we're in the Bay Area, you know, there's this, you know, hot startup after hot startup. And, you know, when you have Salesforce on your pedigree, especially with a few promotions, I'm sure there's been a lot of headhunters coming out for you the last 10 years and things like that. So I'm curious, like what, what keeps you there? What has kept you progressing at the company and, and what, you know, why have you stayed there and continue to see success for, you know, 10 plus years at this point? Yeah, that's a great question. And a few things kind of percolate to the top of my head. And first and foremost, Ray Dalio wrote in the book, uh, Principles, that the biggest driver to happiness is not actually financial reward. Now, there is financial stress, but as you make more money, the additional utility uh, kind of levels off. And what is actually the biggest driver to happiness is the community you're surrounded by. And for me, I have always loved the people I've worked with. It's the people in the trenches when you're a sales rep, being able to kind of banter back and forth, gamify things, also feel like you're up-leveling yourself. I think there's a lot of wisdom in the birds of a feather. And I think it was Jim Rohn who said, you're kind of the average of the five closest people. And that Salesforce, as the brand has grown, I've really seen some exceptional talent there that I feel I'm up-leveling myself. Uh, every single day. So I feel like I'm being developed and I'm growing, which satiates part of me. And it's also, we have a mantra like make money, have fun. And we have a lot of fun along the way as well. So I've never felt that strong urge to, to explore outside the four walls. Obviously there's some curiosity. What is my kind of market value out there if I was to look outside? Uh, but I would say I'm very happy in what I do. And the second component, I would say, is I trust 
the business leaders, Mark Benioff, senior leadership, et cetera. And I think the model is genius in which we have our core product offerings, but our market cap has grown past Oracle's, not because CRM's market has grown that much, but we actually opened up an ecosystem. We call it the App Exchange. It's similar to the App Store. In fact, our CEO gave Steve Jobs the domain App Store as a personal favor. And we have innovation of our ecosystem. So there's thousands of apps out there. And we actually built a corporate VC within Salesforce, Salesforce Ventures. And they go and fund a lot of these app exchange companies. And we own a percentage share of them. So like Snowflake, for example, we own a percentage share that just went IPO in the last couple of weeks. And so companies that do really, really well, we actually... Um, we consume those organizations, we actually acquire them, and then we give it a proprietary technology advantage over its competitors, and then we give it, you know, we train and we enable our staff, and then off you go. And so we're getting great additional products in our back to sell uh, that all are very synergistic to each other and actually achieve broader outcomes for our customers. And so I love that, like, we have new great products to sell, so if you're with a customer, and they feel like they're, you know, they're oversold in one capacity or one product. It's like, great, well, let's allocate those dollars to something else that's going to make a meaningful business impact to your organization. And the ability to create deeper relationships and up-level the conversation and executives has been really, really fun. Because I'll tell you, when I first started, it was sell a bunch of pipeline management and like lead conversion tools to the VP of sales. And now it's an elevated conversation about how do we put the patient or the customer uh, at the center of everything you do from every digital interaction to every customer's uh, experience that they have with you. How do we elevate that brand and being able to get mindshare from executives. That's, that's very satiating to me and very fulfilling and very fun. And that's, and that's kind of the core of what I think is one of the key things about being successful in sales is whatever it is, you got to believe in it. And you could tell, you know, anyone that's watching uh, this on YouTube and can see kind of the, the expression and reaction that you have when you're talking about it, you're obviously very passionate about it and you just believe that it's the right thing. You know, it can be something that helps solve business problems for your prospects and customers. And if there's that inkling of doubt that, yeah, this may not be the right thing, or, you know, I'm pushing, you know, the second, third best product in the market or whatever it might be. Um, you just can't possibly have the same level of success that that phone gets pretty heavy when you're picking up and, and cold calling a C-suite exec, when you don't, when you don't believe in what you're selling, right. Or, you know, the hands get a little shaky on that email or the negotiation or wherever it is, if, if you're not all the way buttoned up there. So, um, and I think that that probably has maybe grown over time. Is that fair to say? Like as you've, as you've invested yourself in the company, you've seen it do well and you've enjoyed it and you've enjoyed the community and it's kind of like pulled you in deeper throughout time. Is that, is that fair to say? Absolutely. And I think what really amplified that passion is moving two years ago. And actually when I was on the podcast with you, I was a frontline leader in the financial services market. And to be honest, selling in financial service to me was a lot easier because I understand how VCs make money. I understand the financial markets. I was a wealth manager, so I can legitimately tell them I've been on your side of the table. This is exactly how I could use the tools for business value. 
And going into the healthcare, it's been a, a bit of a challenge for me to learn a whole new industry and an exciting challenge. I say that in a good way, but the kind of greater purpose to what we're doing, and I'll give you an example. We were in what we call an SIC. It's kind of a strategic engagement uh, with a C-suite of a company that's doing, they're, they're considered a CRO which is pharma companies outsource clinical trials to them because they have very specialized equipment and it's cheaper for big pharma as they're producing new drugs, et cetera, uh, to outsource it for them. And part of this, we had an, L an, an enterprise solution engineer on the call and he absolutely crushed it. And we were in the debrief and he was really excited. And I was like, where does all this excitement come from? And he's like, you don't get it. Like 25 years ago, I was having the same discussion with a big pharma company and we sold them a solution that accelerated the clinical trial process, produced a drug that my mother then took, and then it saved her life. It's like, what <laughs> we're doing actually saves lives. Wow. And I was like, I was blown away. <laughs> and I was like, that's right. You know, we're not just, you know, coming in and before we went vertical, it was like, I'm going to help sales reps sales more and help sells people be more successful and make more money, which is great. But now we're in, going into the healthcare and life sciences industry. It's really that elevated experience. We're helping more butts get in bed, more people uh, receiving the addiction recovery treatment that they need, making sure that they don't fall off the wagon. You know, these are meaningful outcomes that really impact lives. And so uh, for me, that passion's really, as I mentioned before, amplified. Uh, over the last couple of years since I've moved, made this move into healthcare and life sciences. So that brings up a super interesting point. Now, um, I think it's pretty clear in your case right now, like there's a lot of, um, you know, great moral fiber and it's a, it's a very moral sale that's happening right now. But what if this is completely hypothetical, but what if you were, you know, selling the software to a different industry, right? And it was a company or an industry that maybe was like, they were tugging at your heartstrings a little bit in the opposite direction of like, I don't, I don't love this. Like maybe you were selling to, I'm just, you know, kind of floating this around. Maybe even the finance section where you thought maybe they were a little shadier or you're selling to someone that was this big oil tycoon and you were very into climate change or I don't know. I'm just kind of throwing things around. Like, do you think if you're in that position that you could still be successful or do you think maybe, you, you can try to find a way to think about it in a similar scenario. It's like, no, I'm helping them do ABC and that's where I can kind of get this from a more purposeful sale versus just like, what's my commission check? Cause that, that really can only get you so far. Yeah. It's kind of that age old conundrum and less of a sales capacity. It's like the doctor who gave drugs to Michael Jackson. And when I go mm. back to him, it was just like, well, if I didn't give it to him, another doctor would have gave it to him. Right. So I was just you know, doing the job. And something that kind of resonates with me, or at least comes to top of mind when you say that, is Boardwalk Empire and Nunky Thompson is the main character, and he's coined at the beginning saying, how much sin can you live with? So I think it's a very personal decision whether you go in those markets or not, and I'm not here to pass judgment on people. Personally, I wouldn't want to do that because of the implica implications that it can have on the greater society. And this is kind of the big conversation right now. Like, is it shareholder capitalism or is it stakeholder capitalism? And what are we actually doing for the broader community aside from just profits? 
And for me, I, I truly believe in that kind of new wave of ethos of, of, of stakeholder capitalism. So personally, I wouldn't get involved in it, but I'm not here to pass judgment on other people to do it. Uh, and it kind of came to light a couple of years ago, there was an announcement that one of our customers was using our technology for human trafficking. And that Salesforce tech, you know, they were increasing it, you know, increasing the ability to traffic people into the sex slave using the Salesforce technology. And of course, it was all like everything they said to our organization was all fabricated. We had no clue that it was a sex trafficking company. But with that being said, just like hearing that was like, oh, who could have sold that? That's immediately like, who would have sold that deal? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that person needs to get fired. How could you do that? And then you're like, okay, no, they, you know, they completely misrepresented who they were as an organization. Of course, we wouldn't have done that. But to me, just that gut wrenching feeling of hearing that, like, I just, I couldn't live with that. Um, and so I would kind of veer away from that. And how about um, in the COVID period now? You, you've obviously in a very interesting position where you've been in healthcare and during a global pandemic and selling into that. So have you? Have you had prospects and customers that have been, you know, uh, majorly affected by what's going on either in, in a, a case where, hey, they need a product like Salesforce more because they have way more patience or maybe in a negative way, just, you know, if they were way overblown or, or overhead, you know, earlier when, you know, cases kept going up early on and, and we seemed so unprepared. Um, how has that been to navigate uh, just as a salesperson trying to do your job, but also trying to be very empathetic towards the situation in the, the macro environment? Yeah, I would say it's been a, very much a mixed bag. And for me, being a second line leader, I have about 50 account executives underneath me. And so I've really seen the ones who've been positively impacted, the ones who've been negatively impacted. And that's really impacted our sales motion, our go-to-market strategy. So on a negative impacted side, there's a lot of elective surgeries and medical device companies that provide the, the equipment to do those elective surgeries. And a lot of people aren't going into the operating room for, you know, like last year we, we did great in the Botox market or Botox competitors. Not many people are getting plastic surgery or Botox right now. Uh, and so those organizations are not growing, they're contracting, you know, we, there's contract discussions and financial relief, et cetera. Um, so there has been some companies where it's just, it's not the time for the cross sale or the upsell. And we just have to be empathetic and, you know, pay them the attention that they deserve. But also, you know, as a salesperson, you got to hit your number as well. So it's where we focus our energy and efforts. So on the flip side of that, we've had a lot of successful customers. So one, there's a company out of the Pacific Northwest. They went from manufacturing 200, it's called the five-in-one ventilator. Uh, Voxen is their product and it's 18 pounds. And there's been no innovation in the ventilator markets from the big uh, behemoth companies, uh, med device companies over the last 20 years. So they're very technology advanced, very innovation focused. And so they went from 200, manufacturing 200 to 20,000 in a month. And they had this big partnership with GM and they got basically got a blank uh, check from Trump. So it's like, how do we scale this as quickly as possible? Cause we can't fulfill these orders. We don't know if they're using the tools, right? Like we went from a true SMB to like serving an enterprise market with an enterprise need overnight. And we've had a lot of engaging discussions there. Uh, other companies, a lot of COVID uh, testing companies 
we work with a lot of labs and you can, you can see what's like the 23s and me where they can tell who your biological parents are. If the, you know, that happened to our maid of honor, which yeah. is a story for a different time, but she found out <laughs> who her real dad was and it wasn't who she thought, uh, you know, Everly well, it's like food sensitivity and allergies and they're all pivoting to COVID testing. So we're working with a lot of organizations who are now fulfilling like COVID testing for the NBA or, or Disneyland, et cetera. Uh, mm. So those are all been, all been thriving organizations. PPE, so uh, companies who you know are, create hand sanitizer, medical equipment, face masks, et cetera. And then the last one is, and this is kind of the coercement of digitalization, is telehealth and virtual care. Like, okay, mm. now that I don't want to go into a doctor room, how do we provide the care uh, that our patients need over a virtual experience and make it a HIPAA compliant, but two, give me the tool set and give that I can give the proper care that to the people. Mm. And a little bit ago, I want to make a little pivot because you mentioned the senior leadership. You mentioned Benioff. I don't know if I ever asked you, have you met Mark Benioff? I have clinked beers with him. It was 2010. (laughs) It was the Giants World Series. It was that we rented the bar across the street from the Giants Stadium and he came in and he had his Benioff jersey on and he has Panda hat. <laughs> and he was clinking, you know, he was just, he was so happy the Giants won. He's clinking beers everywhere and I'm like, cheers. So that's as much interaction as I've had with him. <laughs> I've had the opportunity to see him, but I always feel a little, my wife's so good at those things. She'll, she is so bubbly and can create a great connection off the bat where it's not awkward. And I, that's not my strength. I would say yeah. is going yeah. off and just being like, Hey Mark, great to meet you. I was a little cheesy, like long-term employee, love what you're doing. You know, yeah, so, yeah, keep it up. Uh, <laughs> I've had some couple, like, you know, you have those microseconds where you have the inner dialogue and then the moments passed. Uh, I've had a couple of those and then opted not to come up to Mark Benioff. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. The beer clinking. It's good to know that he drinks beers. I, I, um, I, I read behind the cloud, uh, a number of years ago. And um, I just thought it was so cool that he came up, I, you know, I'm paraphrasing, but pretty much came up with like the idea for Salesforce, like, you know, on Ho- in Hawaii, I think, or, or in Asia, maybe somewhere where he was traveling and was, you know, I know he's been kind of on the forefront too, with like business leaders and meditation and, you know, the 1% pledge and just all of the different things that he does in the community as well. So I just think that's, I just really respect him as a leader on top of building, you know, one of the, the largest organizations in the world um, is just, I just think he's incredible. I, I didn't know that you clinked beers. That's got to be probably the most famous person you'll ever clink beers with. I think you peaked. <laughs> I mean, it's all downhill from here, I guess. Uh, <laughs> it's a dire way of looking at it, but I guess so. <laughs> it's definitely the richest person I'll ever clink beers with. I'll tell you that. True, true, true. Um, let's talk about Tony Robbins for a minute. Uh, we're both big fans. That's one of the ways that we've bonded over the years. And, um, I believe that you went to his unleash the power within conference, uh, as maybe part of a Salesforce thing, like an initiative where I think maybe other, uh, colleagues went too. but could you talk a little bit about maybe the details behind, you know, did they, did they help the sponsor that or like what their thought is? I know Mark and Tony are, are close friends. Um, and then just what you thought of that experience. Cause for me, that was epic. It was one of the best four days of my life. Yeah. Uh, 
and before I go into it, I will say the most listened to podcast of yours, from me at least, and, probably, and the most listened podcast of anyone, Tim Ferriss and, and the other ones I listened to, Guy Raz, uh, is your Tony Robbins synopsis, <laughs> that 15 minute, you're kind of like your top 10. Uh, and I would reiterate all top 10, like that was the experience and I loved it. And it's just a way for me to revisit and kind of get back in that mental mode. So shout out to you and for any listeners who haven't listened to it, uh, quick plug for, for that episode. Cause I thought it was fantastic. Um, so Mark did email some senior leaders and this happens. The Tony Robbins sales rep emails Mark Benioff. He forwards it down. There's kind of a threshold if you're above a senior leadership, uh, level, uh, they will pay for your admission fee, but you got to pay, you know, food and travel, et cetera. And so I was, I, I was like, I'm all over this. Get me in this. <laughs> let's do this. And then it, it was March and I was like, oh my God, I have way too many things going on. So then I postponed it in July, way too many things going on. And then I ended up uh, reassigning or uh, re-registering for the one in Miami and so I, I was managing our Texas team in healthcare at the time. And so I did a trip from Texas over to Miami. And I remember when I got there, I was like, I know no one in this friggin' state. And I am by myself for the next four days geeking out with Tony Robbins. And it's like, Nick, all right, you're in this. Let's make the most of it. Yeah. Uh, which was really cool because there was no distractions. I was in the, the heart of downtown Miami right next to uh, the stadium. And I was just, I came in and the energy is just electric. People jumping up and down and clapping hands and being there by myself. Most people are, are there with a significant other or a business partner. They already know each other. I was like, I just got to meet a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, so it was really cool just learning people's different stories, what drove you here, what's resonating, et cetera, which is really cool. And I, I think the beginning of it, the first day was really impactful to me. And part of changing your mindset is changing your physiology, like your actual, how you're physically standing. And for me, like you come up with a little thing to get back in that state of mind. And there are some visual techniques and things of that nature. I still use that today. Mm. And I have my, you know, I, I, I found my chest and I do one of these I, like this. And while you're at the conference, you do that move over and over and over time. And it brings you a time of energy, brings you like it gives you all this bravado and this moxie just to live in the moment, be in the moment. And then you walk on these like 1100 degree coals. And uh, I I still go back. I'm like, if I can step on those coals, I can do anything. Yeah. Uh, And I don't know about you, but I burnt the shit out of my foot too. So I was walking back, <laughs> still pounding my chest by myself, walking to my hotel, but still being like, this hurts like hell. And I like, I, my left foot was good, but my right foot got it, got it pretty bad. Man, I, I can't even explain. I can see it so visually in my head. I couldn't more highly recommend anyone go to this conference. I know he's doing it through Zoom now. I don't know. I can't speak to that experience, but the process of going from the stadium, I was at the SAP center in San Jose and I'm at in the nosebleeds and the whole time we're like chanting something. I forget what it is, but it's like an hour long walk down, you know, all the steps and then into the parking lot before we do the fire coals. It's like one in the morning on the first day, you've been there since nine in the morning and the whole time you're just like chanting this thing. And then you go across and 
it was just, it was unbelievable. The whole, the whole four days, but that was like, that was just such a peak moment where um, everything, what I love so much about him is that everything that he does really just kind of opens up your mind to like, oh shit, I can do that. You know, like all these different things that you never thought that anyone did or could do. And he just really, you know, kind of helps you to, to think bigger. I think sometimes I'll speak for myself personally. I get caught in that bubble of the five people I surround myself with, which are great people, but you know, they're to see someone maybe on a whole different stratosphere doing something completely different. It's like, Oh wow. That really opens you up to what's possible. It is just, just so amazing. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't agree with you anymore. I, as I'm looking through at your face in this Zoom <laughs> conversation, I can see the fashion coming out of your face, Taurus. Uh, it's a really cool experience. And the last thing I would say about it is he kind of says these statements, and we all see these new mantras to live by that are going to change your life. But he has all these kind of anecdotal things that that he'll give examples for. And you're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And it totally validates his shtick. And as you're seeing it, you just kind of, it, it feels right. And then you rationalize it and like, you're like, okay, this is the, the new way I'm going to just think and act and do. And so it's, it's one of the most inspiring, if not the most inspiring experience I've been through. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And another thing that I wanted to touch on, you mentioned it earlier, beat me to the punch. You mentioned principles by Ray Dalio. I know that that has been hands down the most or one of the most important books for you, um, you know, in the last few years, and, and especially as a leader, you talked about how he talks about, you know, community being more important or uh, maybe more fulfilling than money. Uh, there, there's a, some sort of graph where it's like you get to a certain dollar amount per year, and then it's like the, you know, uh, limiting returns after that. Uh, of, of how much money can really change your life or really make you happier. So is there anything outside of that, that one principle that has really spoken to you or has it made you a better leader? Yeah. One that I continuously go back to, and it's, it's this kind of this picture, if you will, that's on an upward trajectory and then you kind of fail at something and then you get feedback and then you iterate and then you grow bigger. And for me, I am very much, and I encourage everyone in my org, I encourage myself to take chances, take opportunities, go out, like go skin your knees, you're going to fail. But at the same time, let's get feedback. And for me, I always ask my AEs to do players only meeting. I'm going to give you a list of questions, like tear up my ego a little bit. Mm. But give me the feedback and also praise me because I, I, you know, I am a little <laughs> sensitive. I need the praise and need to know where we need to double yeah. down. And I always play this game, start, stop, continue. What do we need to start doing? What do we need to stop doing? What do we need to continue doing? And that feedback loop has really crispened some of our, some of our biggest programs and what we do. And, and I would attribute to a lot of our success that we had. So mm. for an example, you know, I've made 18 hires in uh, in COVID, and we're just for a timestamp. We're about six months since uh, March and, and the COVID kind of pandemic hit, and they were good at intra-team networking. Like they knew everyone on their team, the, the five or six people on their team, but they were not as good as the inter-team uh, networking. You you just miss that water cooler talk. You miss that banter in the elevator, get to know each other and kind of break down silos. And then like, Hey, can you whiteboard this out to me? Or 
turn your chair, can I ask this question? So we did this full day of just development and games and fun. We had spirit competitions. We're playing Jeopardy against <laughs> each other. We do around the horn where we pick a topic like a product and you get points uh, and things of that nature. And overall, yeah, we survey every time, like what do we need to do better? And first question is, what, should we do this again? Unanimous across the board, but things like, hey, we should do this instead of one day, two days, because it's too tedious to be out of the office. Uh, hey, we should separate into four teams instead of a three so we can interact in more games and kind of a tournament champion. So just things that we do uh, just get better through that feedback loop. And I attribute to Ray Dalio is just like every single, if you want to grow, you got to take chances, you got to fail, you got to get feedback and you got to learn from them and you got to implement new processes that help you grow past that. And once you've kind of fine tuned that, uh, then you can move on to the next thing. So you, uh, I want to double click on that players only meeting. So you encourage the team, you know, of reps to all get together and kind of like hash out, you know, what are the things that we want to start, stop, continue across the team right now? And then they kind of relay that to you, like whatever that is once a year, once a quarter, something like that. Is that pretty much the gist of it? Absolutely. And it has influenced a lot of policies that I've made anywhere from, Everyone thought the San Francisco territories and you know, where Silicon Valley, where all the VC funding, it's no-brainer patches and it's not a level playing field. So I chop it up now and all my 50 reps get a piece of San Francisco instead of one yep. person in the heart of it, right? Uh, things like we need more solutions engineers. So I've actually gone out and said we need to actually redeploy some salaries into more SCs to have better coverage so they're not focused on demos. They can actually up-level themselves on curriculum and and getting what we call black belts or uh, more credentials and broader products and elevate to bigger uh, deals, et cetera. So anything and everything from should we scrap this meeting to what's your manager on your feedback? What do they do really well? Where do I need to up-level them? Because I'm not mm -hmm. in the room a lot of times. Um, it's influenced a ton. And I always I, I pick a list of questions and I put it out to my six teams, but I also – pick the team captain, if you will, as someone who I know is going to give me unfiltered feedback. Mm, and yep. so they're going to give it to me the way it is. And that's what I want. Uh, the new coin term as feedback is a gift. And it really is. Mm. Uh, we don't get better if we don't have candor uh, across the table. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you've gone through, you know, you, through your 10 years, uh, you've had a number of promotions coming from you know, entry level BDR, SDR through, you know, a few different AE roles, a few different, you know, frontline manager roles, and now up to, you know, vice president role. Um, what could you, what could you give advice for people that are, you know, looking to make that same, you know, progression through their career, right? I think, you know, it's table stakes to say, hey, we, you need to hit your numbers, right? You got to hit your quota. Uh, you got to hit your activity met metrics or your meeting metrics if you're an SDR, whatever that might be. But if it's, if someone's listening, they're hungry, you know, young in their career, what are maybe some of the, you know, up-level things that they might not be thinking of that, you know, uh, would stand high for, you know, a VP of sales as someone that wants to continue to progress? Yeah, I there is a book, The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker, and he talks about, you know, don't mistake effort for effectiveness. Or right. and another way to term that is motion for progress. Like if you're just saying, hey, I want to manage up 
to these people so I do the right motions. And even if it doesn't get the right result, I'm doing what I'm told. So I'm good. I'm off the hook. And for me, I have always kind of challenged that orthodoxy of how do I be most effective with my time? And how do I do that in a way that's really going to make impact? Because that's all I really care about. How do I make impact with my customers? How do I make impact with my, my personnel and internally here? So that would be the first one is really rethink about where you spend your time. And time management is so critical and something I'm still working with. Um, uh, so I would say that's number one. Number two is research outside the nine to five. I think this is what your, a lot of listeners do is, I have a lot of salespeople just go nine to five. They do their sales job and they don't ever want to pick up a sales book. They don't ever want to watch a sales show. Like you had Ryan Serhant from million dollar listing. When I was a sales rep, million dollar listing in New York was like, what are my favorite shows? And I would use some (laughs) of the tactics I watched that. And I I personally had enjoyment watching him or, or Frederick use a tactic. And then I would go use it in a sales cycle, right? Take a chance. Um, and so it's a lot of that nine to five outside the nine to five hours, what you're doing to grow, whether it's listening to podcasts uh, and, or reading a book. Like it just so happened. Like I read the hard thing about hard things from Ben Horowitz. And then a week later, I'm an executive from a high VC and I, I, we just, we bonded over that book and some of the, the topics there. And it was like, I don't, I didn't know this was going to pay benefit in a sales cycle, but it was like, I was investing my, my professional growth met someone with a like kind like kind of mind and we really had a great discussion around it so investing in yourself outside the nine to five i think is a common shortfall of people mm. uh, i would also say don't get paralysis through analysis like go and survey the landscape but go scrape your knees like it's all yeah. about moving forward and failing and uh the last thing i would say is don't be short-sighted and this goes into internal politics and at Mm. Salesforce, there's a lot of pressure to hit your numbers. No doubt we're a month to month sales organization. What I've seen is, you know, we're verticalized and people will work deals or accounts or do shady things or unnatural things uh, to hit their number when you're kind of staying outside your lane of where you should be. And I've seen people just dig in their heels and just, not do the right thing. And you got to think broader, like your brand is everything Mm. outside of one transaction. And don't build that bad brand. Don't dig in your heels. Be fair. Even if you feel justified for more of the deal, et cetera, or you feel justified for the account, it's not the right thing. Just do the right thing. It will pay dividends uh, long-term. And so that's what I've noticed is I've seen a lot of people uh, stymie their own career because of the brand they built. They pissed off someone who then crossed paths, who's making hiring decisions, or, you know, we always back channel. What do you think of this person? And you don't want that person to be like, you know what? I asked why they thought it was a non-financial service account when it has ABC wealth management in the title. Uh, so, yeah. And then, yeah. You know, I was going to say, I was just going to add to that, like on that same token, it's like, you know, also treating, your coworkers well too, you know, like obviously sales is a numbers driven game and the end goal, you, you certainly need to close some deals and you need to hit your quota and exceed numbers, but you don't need to be an asshole throughout it, you know, to your BDR or your sales engineer or your customer success team or whoever it is that you're probably working with cross departmentally. Um, you know, you want to have a good standing with them so that, 
if your name comes up for promotion or you go to find a new job. And like you said, you, people are back channeling or whatever it might be. Um, you know, the, the world's a lot smaller than uh, we probably think it is. So you just want to treat everyone well. And, and another thing is that a lot of these people don't, or some of them don't get paid the commission for those deals, you know, especially if it's someone maybe in marketing that's helping you out or uh, customer success or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. So um, they're, they're helping you out and maybe not getting that direct, you know, variable commission. So you want to make sure that you're obviously treating those folks well. And I think that just to your point of reputation, the brand that is going to carry with you forever, you want to make sure you treat those folks well. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more with that thought bubble is understand what your counterparts and kind of the, the kind of the outside the sales, like the, I don't want to call them sales staff, but you know, your peers, like what they care about. Maybe it's just a recognition, an email to their boss. Sometimes it's just a gift card or including them in an event, like we're doing volunteer. I know you're not part of the actual sales team, but hey, come join us for this volunteering event. Mm-hmm. That has paid dividends and it makes people uh, feel acknowledged for what they do. And I think that a lot of people want to feel a, a sense of purpose and acknowledgement. So I couldn't agree with you more just taking time of the day to thank the people who help you do things. Cause I know everyone's running a million times a, a, a minute and it's like, okay, I just want to go on to the next one. But like, actually, no, I want to take a step back and, and really share some gratitude uh, for the people who make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I want to take you before we wrap this up to what I've termed, it's a new part of the show, the selfish section. Uh, so I ask a question that's specifically just for me. Uh, it's not for anyone else listening. So everyone else can, you know, mute it for the next few minutes. Um, but you mentioned that, you know, Salesforce is a month to month org uh, from a sales perspective. Uh, my new company at, you know, Skilljar, where I'm an AE is also month to month. And that's the first time in my career I'm going from a quarterly uh, to a monthly quota. So if you have one tip for someone that is new to the monthly structure, uh, what would that be? Are you a SaaS product? Yes. Okay. So understanding how Wall Street evaluates your business and why a month-to-month sales process happens. And there's a, a variety of factors that influence it. So first and foremost, this is going to be countering everything else I say, but don't break glass. Don't do anything unnatural mm. that could kill the deal if it can come in next month, right? We can, my goal is always to get to a buyer's where they can make a yes, no decision and then incentivize them with price. Uh, mm. But if they're not at the yes, no, there's still steps in the buying process. Don't mistake the selling motion with the closing motion and don't go in the closing motion until you're done with the, the, the technology evaluation where they feel comfortable Etc. So I'm going to, I'm going to preface with that, but from a month to month sales process, we all know time kills deals. I've legitimately had been in the closing motion and had a CEO pass away. He rolled an ATV with his two kids, unfortunately. So sad to hear CFO calls me in tears and it, it was such a hard piece to manage, but it also hurts the business from a business perspective. You know, some people leave an organization, some people hire new people who are detractors from your software, time kills deals, Mm. Uh, new initiatives come in, a company gets acquired. So now all their their technology initiatives off the table, time kills deals. So I think it's really important to get it in the month. And then from a SaaS perspective, what I tell my buyers, I get this all the time, it's September, the end of our quarter is October. 
right? And they'll always say, well, well I'm just going to wait to get in a quarter because I'm going to get a better price, right? You want to wrap up yeah. the books. And I know, well, okay, well, we recognize revenue in the month the service is, that is delivered and also the day that service is delivered. So if we wrap up a deal at the end of September, we can recognize 31 days of revenue to the street. If mm. you make this purchase on October 31st, we recognize no revenue from that transaction. It only impacts our forward-looking guidance. We can tell the street we have, you know, we have this customer under contract for X long with these deliverables and these account receivables. Yes, forward-looking guidance is one way the street looks at us but revenue recognition that we actually delivered the software on that day and earned money for it is another wall street lever that they look at. So the, you know, whatever, if it's February, whether it's March, whether it's April, we're always incentivized from, from an organizational standpoint to get the business in as early as possible because it only helps how wall street evaluates us. Yep. I think it's also interesting that the first thing you said too, about like, don't, you know, don't break through the glass ceiling or however you, you phrased it of like, you know, don't try to jam the deal in on the last day of the month just because you want to get that check when it maybe hasn't run its course yet. And you might need another two weeks. And yeah, that, you know, maybe that is going to hurt, you know, for one commission period. But it, again, you're thinking about this in the big picture, taking a long-term approach. You want to set them up for success. You want to set your company up for success. And it sounds like it's probably a little bit of a, you know, removing the ego at times too, and try to look at it objectively. What's the right timeline here and, and how do we, you know, solve in the best way possible? Yeah, it's, it revolves around tight mutual plans mm -hmm. and asking the tougher questions that you may not want to hear. So some people use soft language. Hey, could this happen by the end of this month? And they say, yeah, yeah sure. You know, I'm always going to, okay, well, tell me more about this. How is the decision actually made? How do you actually procure software? What are the steps in the process? What happened last time you, you made a vendor contract? Walk me through that experience. And they may not know and then go back and be like, I have a board meeting next Tuesday and that's outside the month. No way this happens. And you're like, great. You know, but if you just stopped at the, yeah, we, you probably could and then build a mutual plan and have alignment on timeline. They just said they could. Then you give them pricing. Then there's a legitimate reason I can't board meeting next month. Uh, and then all of a sudden you're in this, like, I'm going to hound you on the last day of the month saying pricing goes away. And then you're in the awkward situation where they didn't sign. You kind of hound them. So now it's a little bit more of a abrasive relationship. And then you're in this interesting, do I start the relationship with a lie and, and honor the pricing I gave? Or, you know, it, you kind of just put yourself in a hole. So, you know, ask the questions you don't want to hear. What, you know, ask your buyer, what are the risks? What could delay this? You know, what other steps do you need to feel comfortable to make a, a yes, no decision? And let them guide you in the process. You're just asking the questions. And they say, well, we'll make a question by next week. And then you can say, hey, crazy thought here, but end of month on next Wednesday, is there any way we could accelerate that, uh, these steps? a couple of days earlier. So then we can get you to a yes, no decision by the end of the month. And I'll say, well, why is that? And it's like, well, you know, and then you go into your, your stick for end of month. Hey, if we could wrap this up at the end of the month to be meaningful for me as well as I'll, I'll dangle a financial incentive to do it, or there's a promotion going on, et cetera. And then it's like, yeah, okay, we can do this. Okay. Now you actually have a alignment on timeline to make a decision. Right. It all starts with asking the, asking strong questions, asking the right, not being afraid of what, 
the ants because the answer might not be what you want to hear. And it might not be what your boss wants to hear in the forecast meeting later that day, but asking that so that you can take the appropriate steps and, and do things the right way. It'll just help you in the long run. 100%. My first sales manager said, new reps are always afraid to lose the deal they never had. <laughs> and if you don't ask the qualifying questions yeah. and because you don't want to hear that it's not a real deal, all you're doing is bloating your pipeline and spending your time on things that just aren't real. Oh God. I felt that. I felt that when we were, <laughs> when I was leading the team in my last role that that happened a few times. Like this, this isn't, this is nothing. These, you know, this, these people don't even know we exist. How is this a rolled up deal? Um, <laughs> but I appreciate it, Nick. Um, where, you're, you're unlike a lot of the guests, you're, you're low key on, on the social media side. So what's the best way if folks want to get inside the brain of Nick Fedotov, uh, want to hit you up, want to thank you for the episode, anything like that, where, where should people look you up? I would start with LinkedIn online, yeah. Nick Fedotov, you just Google Salesforce, uh, you see a vice president title pop up. That's me. Uh, I do try to keep a low key social presence, um, I, I just feel I have a certain amount of hours in the day and I have two kids, actually a third on the way. And so when I'm not Congrats. at work, which I spend a lot of time with, I'm with my family uh, or I'm spending personal time with my wife or I'm doing fantasy football. Like that's my thing. Uh, <laughs> writing, you know, extensive power rankings and, and doing some good banter. Um, so I'm not, I don't have a heavy online presence and that's intentional just because I, I really want to focus on, on my personal priorities, but yeah, LinkedIn or nfedatoff at salesforce.com uh, is an easy way to get a hold of me as well. Awesome. Well, there are definitely days where I envy, uh, you know, maybe not having a presence because it can get, it is great. <laughs> there's great things about it, uh, but there's definitely a lot of distractions too. Um, but, but in either case, I appreciate you coming back. We'll have to get you for a round. I don't think anyone's come on three times, so we'll have to get you for round three as the uh, as the solo, you know, title champ. All right. Well, in three years from now, I'll set a, a reminder <laughs> in my phone. If I don't get that invite, I'll be knocking on your door. Uh, but in all sincerity, thanks for having me. I, I find these to be a lot of fun. Uh, so thank you so much, and huge fan of your podcast. So I'm excited that you're you're picking it up for round two because there's a lot of great content and learnings. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.